And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Welcome to Dave's Daredevil Podcast, a Two True Freaks presentation. I am the Dave of the title, J. David Weeder, talking about Marvel's Daredevil on the weekly. Well, almost. Sometimes we veer into different territories like Zorro, or accidentally talk about Shazam for an episode, but generally the show is about Daredevil. Especially now that things seem to be getting back to a sort of normal, at least for me. To kind of fill in those that came in late, last week was to be this big return from a two-week vacation. It was slated to begin this epic nine-part coverage of Guardian Devil. But a flash drive decided to sabotage that and ruin the files, and so I had to find something to fill last week's sudden void, and that kind of uh, killed the Guardian Devil coverage as well. Two birds, one flash drive, people. And for those that are wondering exactly how did it kill the coverage, well, I didn't want to redo those episodes. I didn't want to take a step back. There's a frustration level, and it's just not good episodes that would come out of that. But I'll be honest with you, I'm kind of thankful this happened. This kind of put me in a place where I'm very happy. When I selected this week's issue and I sat down to get to work on it, it felt like a shot in the arm. For the first time since around episode 69, I felt like I was back in my sweet spot with this show. It's no secret that I have a weakness for classic Daredevil, and hopscotching through the title feels like the show was back to its roots, back where I was having the most fun I'd had with the show in a while. When I say kill it, I want to be clear, one day I'm going to do Guardian Devil. But for right now, I'm kind of happy to kind of take the path through episode 100 just doing one-off issues. Occasionally a two-parter here and there, but kind of pick up where we lost off roughly a year ago. And more specific to the issue this week, it was somewhat randomly selected. I threw some candidates onto the table and I just couldn't resist this issue when I looked at it because it has such a great, awesome twist. And the issue in question is Daredevil number 63, placing it right before we left off and jumped into the death of Gene DeWolf storyline to kind of get your barometer set. So I'm ready to dive into that. I don't have a lot of preamble, so I'm going to play a promo for the Fire and Water Podcast Network and then I will return to talk about Daredevil versus is the gladiator in prison right after this yeah, i'm really excited for 2016 in fact i think we should record a promo about all the changes to the fire and water podcast network happening this year what do you think rob that's a great idea we can mention the new folks joining the network and all the shows i can talk about how we'll continue with our aquaman and firestorm show and i want to be sure to plug my movie show the film and water podcast what about you ryan Oh, I think we should definitely record a promo. I'll mention how the Secret Origins podcast is joining the Fire and Water Network, and then I'll introduce my newly relaunched shows, Give Me Those Star Wars and Power of Fishnets, the Black Canary and Zatanna podcast. Sound good to you, Chris? Absolutely. I'll mention the show I record with my lovely wife, Cindy, Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast. We should probably also mention the Power Records podcast Rob and I do, too. What about you, Siskoid? 
Well, sure. I can talk about my ensemble show, The Lonely Hearts Romance Comics Podcast, and my new upcoming shows about the DC Comics crossover event, Invasion, and yes, Ohatmu. Shag, you think we should mention Hero Points, the most occasional DC Heroes role-playing podcast? Sure, why not? And I can talk about Who's Who, the definitive podcast of the DC Universe, and mention my new upcoming show, Justice League International, Wahaha podcast. Now, Here's what I'm thinking. When we record, I'm fine being the first person talking. I can explain all the changes to the Wait network. a minute, wait a minute, wait. Why do you get to start the promo? I'm just as much of a part of this as you are. It was my idea to create the Fire and Water podcast back in 2011. I should start off this promo. I kind of think it should be one of the new voices who kick off the promo. It'll shock the listener into attention if it's not Rob or Shag. Cindy and I make up two people in the network. Plus, you know, ladies first. So we should be the first people talking on the promo. Ben voyons donc. You have what? got Stop it. You're like boys with toys. Let's just make this simple. We can tell the folks at home the Fire and Water Podcast Network is growing in 2016. Several new shows are joining the network. We'll have a new dedicated website, a Twitter account, and Facebook page. And folks will be able to subscribe to each individual show or all of them. See, now was that so hard? Fire and Water Podcast Network. Available soon through iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fireandwaterpodcast.com. Seriously, Shag, you had to get the last word, didn't you? And we are back. Now, with the way this show jumps around a little bit, there's been no real tie to chronology, per se. This week's issue kind of sits at an odd spot. Now, most of us probably remember that Melvin Potter was a costume maker that Foggy came into contact with when he had Melvin try to make him a Daredevil costume, because Foggy was trying to pretend to be Daredevil to impress Karen. And Melvin went bat crazy, became the gladiator, attacked Foggy, attacked Daredevil, and that was in issue 18, which I covered in episode 3 of this show, way back when. The gladiator went on to team up with the masked marauder to plot against Daredevil, and eventually he was chosen to join the Magia. The Magia or Magia, I've never really gotten a pronunciation guide, but they're essentially this worldwide syndicate. There's organized crime, and then there's the next level, and that next level is the Magia. And while he was in the Magia, Madame Mask, who leads that very outfit, used the gladiator to take on Iron Man. This failed, and the gladiator was thrown into prison. Now, to set up our main cast, this is shortly after Matt went to Vermont in pursuit of Karen, where he revealed his secret identity to her. That was issue 57 or episode 6 of the show, again, way back when. However, I've jumped back a little bit, so this is before he went after her and found Karen on the set of the soap opera Strange Secrets, which we saw in issue 66, which was covered in episode 64. We're going to be doing stories this week and next week that kind of form the bread on a story sandwich with that issue. So the point is, Karen knows that Matt is Daredevil that's causing some friction since Matt won't quit being Daredevil, and Foggy is the district attorney of New York. So both Matt and Karen actually work in his office in the district attorney's office, which is kind of important to the plot because that's kind of where we find our cast at the opening of Daredevil number 63. And this is the April 1970 issue. It has a cover by Marie Severin and Frank Giacoya, set in a prison cell. The gladiator is leaping at an injured Daredevil who's laying on the ground a little bit stunned, and the gladiator is telling Daredevil only one of them is walking out of this cell. It's 
it's all right. I mean, it's a fairly direct homage to issue 23. We also see this type of cover used again and again. I mean, the pose is essentially the same. Gladiator leaps in the air towards Daredevil. The art here is a bit tighter, but it's the same concept. My main complaint is that Severin puts Daredevil's horns a bit out of place. They're actually on his temples coming out to the side, so it looks more like a a steer than a devil. Otherwise, the colors are rich, it's warm, it's inviting in terms of just the way it would appear on stands, especially with the digital recoloring on Marvel Unlimited. But ultimately, this cover is just okay. I don't have a lot to say about it, uh, good or bad. It's just there, and it's part of a series of Gladiator covers that just tend to take the same thing over and over again. But of course, we're here to talk about what's inside the issue, which is a story entitled The Girl or the Gladiator, written by Roy Thomas, who has taken over for Stanley at this point, penciled by Gene the Dean Colon, hands down the best Daredevil artist ever, inked by Sid Shores and lettered by Artie Simic. And if you're sitting out there in Radio Land wondering, Dave, where can I get my hands on this story? Don't worry, I've got you hooked up. Not only can you, of course, buy the issue, you can also get it in Essential Daredevil Volume 3, which is what I read it from. It's available for sale on Comixology, Marvel Digital, and Marvel Unlimited, which is also where I read the issue from. I like to pair them up since Essentials are black and white. And to break this bad boy down, I am going to go ahead and just give you the full synopsis going forward rather than breaking it into three parts as I have done in the past because it seems more straightforward a little bit easier and allows the conversation to move smoothly when we get to the notes department. So the synopsis for Daredevil number 63 goes thusly. Matt and Foggy are on a boat to Prison Island. Matt's mind however is not in the winter wind nor the task ahead of them. Matt is busy thinking about the fact that Karen Page just quit Foggy's district attorney's office earlier that morning and declared that she is leaving New York. And of course, by proxy, she's leaving Matt. Matt's mind does come back to the present as they reach the prison, and inside those walls is the man they have come to see. Melvin Potter, a.k.a. the Gladiator. After being busted fighting Iron Man, Melvin is trying to play his best amnesia card, stating that he can't be the Gladiator. He's being framed. He has no memory of this. So as Karen sits by the phone waiting for Matt's call, just asking her desperately to stay, Melvin is given the gladiator gear and put into face-to-face contact with Foggy and Matt. They're basically going to try to bust holes in his story along with the psychologist. And Melvin's sticking with the story. It's holding up until he gets his signature saw blades on his hands. Once those are equipped, he flips the switch and tries to break out of jail violently. In the chaos that ensues, Matt slips away and gears up as Daredevil to fight the raving mad villain who is now on the loose in the walls of the prison. The fight is fairly intense until the gladiator tries to use his blades and to his astonishment, the blades fall apart as they were intended to. See, Foggy had set up this ruse to prove that Melvin's claim of amnesia was fake, and the fake-out included replica blades designed to be harmless. So Melvin is once again returned to custody, and Daredevil rushes to an office to make a call to Karen, but it's too late. She's already on a plane to the West Coast. Daredevil has defeated the Gladiator, but lost Karen in the process. As the issue closes on a phone ringing in Karen's empty apartment, nobody there to answer it. So, looking at the issue, discussing the issue, we start with this opening splash. It's the boat on its way to the prison. Just kind of making its way through the cold water, it is incredibly detailed. It just sets the mood. It does feel like a winter day on the page. And having put this side by side in both Marvel Unlimited version and Essential, I have to say it looks so much better in black and white, which is kind of a trait of Gene Colan. With Colan's art, there's a certain precision to it. That's not just my opinion. There are actually instances where 
Cullen's art was published bypassing the inking process because of the level of detail and the way his, really just the way his lines worked. Now, most of those publications were much further down the road than this one, but it's a certain element to his technique that just allows it to be above what you would normally get in art circles, beyond common artists. And it sounds like I'm praising Cullen a bit too much, but at the same time, this is just drawing from just the really the way he did his art. It was unlike any other artist in the Marvel bullpen, which made him ideal for certain projects like Tomb of Dracula. I mean, how he got that job, it was already promised to Bill Everett, so Colin did up a drawing for Stan Lee and actually convinced Lee to let him have the book within a day. And within the boat, we have Matt thinking back to earlier that morning in his discussion with Karen, and the way that's done is you have this image of Daredevil superimposed over Matt, which we've seen, but for some reason, this one is striking. In color, in black and white, it's just exciting. And this is when I knew I was home. This is when I knew I was in the Daredevil material I needed to be at right now, my happy place. Or as Irredeemable Shag would say it, my comic book comfort food. Some may say I have a gene colon bias. And to them I say, maybe I do, and maybe I do. Look at his art. It speaks for itself. Another example of this is, yes, Gene Colan does amazing action scenes. He does great shots of Daredevil swinging through the air, but as Matt and Karen are arguing, she has a what would be a real-world equivalent of an ugly crying face. Yes, Hollywood makes crying look all elegant and whatnot, but in real life, we're kind of ugly when we cry. Now, to add to that, the colorist added eye makeup. Karen is wearing very noticeable blue eye makeup. It loses nothing between black and white and color, but when I look at it, that sort of realistic touch really makes a huge difference and makes this a very human moment. You kind of buy into the argument that these two are having, that it's a very real thing. If you have your buy-in, then emotionally you're already in the part of this argument. Maybe on one side or the other, maybe just upset that this is occurring, but emotionally you're already connected. And of course, Karen's saying, I'm going to leave. I'm I, I'm out. I'm leaving. And I'll be honest with you, this feels like, and really more than feels like, this really is kind of a bluff. It's a bluff she's going to follow through with, but it's a bluff. Then Foggy, back in the present, kind of calls Karen out, saying she won't really leave. Because what she's wanting is attention. She's wanting some sort of commitment or some sort of grand gesture from Matt. She needs it. Now, Foggy's not entirely wrong because he's seen this happen before, but he doesn't know that Matt is Daredevil. He doesn't know that Karen knows that Matt is Daredevil. Foggy is out of the loop. I'm not going to repeat myself as I have in the past, telling you why Foggy should have been the first person that Matt told, but I'm on record, so... We're all aware of where I stand on that. And then we arrive at the island, another phenomenal shot with these puddles on the ground, just the brickwork, the background of the city. The mood is basically making sweet love to my eyes with Berlin's Take My Breath Away playing in the background like it's Top Gun or something. And of course, if we didn't know the twist to the end of the story, this is sort of a scary proposition. We're giving Melvin Potter his gladiator gear back. Yes, this is a Magia villain. This is somebody who's part of the biggest criminal syndicate on Earth. But at the same time, this is also a psychological ploy. Once he's in the costume, there are certain traits that are going to come out. And also, the costume is perfectly fitted to him, so you have that sort of physical evidence side of things, too. And then we flash back to Karen waiting by the phone. She's wanting that gesture from Matt, and maybe she deserves it, maybe she doesn't. I'm kind of on the fence. I don't necessarily like the technique she's using, but I understand where she's coming from. And, and here, Karen admits that some of her issue is the fact that she cannot reconcile why Matt would want or need her. Matt is so capable of Daredevil, the only thing he needs is his billy clubs. And again, that's another human element, a sort of inferiority. This guy, Daredevil, 
He swings through the city. He fights villains. He hobnobs with the Avengers from time to time. How can Karen be a part of that? How can she be a relevant part of that would be a better way to say that. How can he need her, just plain old her, when he has access to somebody like, well, the Black Widow, as we're going to see, although that hasn't happened yet. I mean, it's hard to be a normal person when the person you're fixated on is not only not the person you thought they were, but the polar opposite. And to that end, not necessarily open or available because they exist on a different plane than you do. It would be like Notting Hill, to use a really weird reference. A normal guy who owns a bookstore with one of the biggest movie stars in the world. It's hard to reconcile. I buy into that with Karen. How can she compete with that? Now, on the flip side of that, again, I don't like her methods. I have to call her out. She implies that her leaving is basically a challenge to Matt to ask her to stay. That it's a bluff. It's a, Again, it's a bluff she's going to carry through with, but the main purpose is to get Matt to do that grand gesture. And here's the thought that I'm sure you probably thought first. If this is a gesture, if it's all BS, wouldn't Matt be able to catch that in her heartbeat? And if he was, he'd be calling her bluff and just seeing what she would do. I would buy into that. But a few pages down the road, Matt admits that it didn't occur to him to use his lie detector on Karen. I mean, he's using it on Melvin here, and that's going off the charts, but it never occurred to him to try to focus that much on Karen and what she's saying. To some extent, he takes her at face value. He also respects her privacy to a, well, greater or lesser extent. And you know, Karen's left the city before in a huff, so maybe Matt's just tired of this move. He's seen it, so he's going to let it happen. And while Karen does carry this through, it's not without some sort of hesitation. She's waiting by the phone till the very last moment waiting for that call from Matt. So regardless of the validity of how she feels, she's giving this ultimatum that's not necessarily fair to him. And not entirely clear. If she were to communicate clearly, then Matt may be able to comprehend and may be able to amend his activities. I mean, just look at the proof here. As Karen's getting into the cab to go to the airport, the driver notes that she doesn't seem to be in a hurry to get to the airport, and she admits that she isn't. She's basically dragging her feet. I mean, the only thing she could really do to back out of this is to accidentally on purpose miss the plane, but that's really stretching. She does have a certain threshold where there's no turning back. Now, back at the prison, Potter has given his blades back. And then, you know, even at this point, he's still playing it up. What are these? These circular blades. I've never seen these like unfrozen caveman lawyer. Your circular blade objects frighten me. And the reason I point this out is not only is it kind of funny, there's a parallel. And that's what makes this issue stand out. There's a parallel between Karen and the gladiator. Both Karen and the gladiator are playing mind games. And they're playing it over the top as well. Melvin wants to pretend that he's lost his memory to get out of jail. Karen is leaving the city to get into Matt's life, into his sanctum, into his psyche. Both of these characters are out to prove something that isn't there. Because we know this, Melvin is the gladiator. Karen doesn't want to leave. She wants Matt to need her and to prove it and to show a gesture. So these characters are playing similar-ish games. And the great thing about it is that Matt Murdock on both fronts is the hinge. He's the one that's connecting the two characters. He's the one that is affecting both of these decisions to a greater or lesser extent. But it's also he's the one that's affected between these two different mind games. Matt's away from Karen to attend a gladiator. And Karen is leaving because Matt is unable to be with Karen at this time because he's dealing with the gladiator as part of his job. In both of these scenarios, one cannot proceed without the other. If Matt doesn't show up here, Gladiator is going to tear things up. Even with those blades, he's still going to do some damage. But if he's at the prison, then Karen, she gets her bluff called and she leaves the city. And yes, it's a Kobayashi Maru. It's a no-win scenario. Mainly because both of these hit their zenith at about the same time. Just as Karen is headed for the airport, that's when Gladiator loses his sh- 
and escapes and knocks Foggy down and just starts tearing stuff up in the prison. And Matt really kind of plays his blind man card really hard, right up to the hilt. He's knocking out the light, but he's pretending like I'm just flailing at nothing when it's actually precision. He's overplaying his panic, and it's actually a ruse, kind of like calling Karen's bluff. And Gladiator's rampage and Matt slipping away to changing into Daredevil leads to a really good set of panels, because you have them side by side, where Daredevil's taking off his shirt, putting on the costume, just as Gladiator's slipping on his mask, right beside each other like a Brian De Palma multi-camera movie. And I like that Daredevil takes a moment to communicate with the guard exactly what's going on, because this is a very volatile situation. And because of the confusion, no alarms have sounded, so the other guards are not even aware that this the supervillain is tearing the prison up. And this is accidentally kind of an odd moment because just as Matt's talking about the alarm not going off, an alarm pretty much goes off in his head and he thinks Karen's leaving. So suddenly we have time as the enemy now. He knows there's a clock ticking. And this also changes the stakes as the alarm does go off about that time and it drowns out the gladiator's heartbeat, which basically gives gladiator an, an advantage. So what we have is this close quarters fight with an insane villain and this sensory overload while Karen is slipping out of New York. It's chaos on the page, but it's handled very, very smoothly. And the action is very, very fast, very hardcore. No punches are pulled. These two are really going at it in a very dynamic use of space. It is aware that this is a close quarters fight. So the art actually uses that to its advantage and shows that Matt is at that disadvantage because of, well, no room to really throw punches in the way that he prefers, no room to jump around, which makes it harder to dodge. And in the fight, Daredevil realizes this and puts some space between he and the Gladiator. Pretty much saves Gladiator's life from the snipers. They do want him to be taken alive if possible, and if Daredevil wasn't there, well, snipe away. I don't know that it would do any good with the armor and the helmet, but worth a shot. But even with Daredevil putting that space between he and Gladiator, it's still not a perfect vantage point. Daredevil just doesn't have a lot at his disposal. So he takes what he can where he can, like slamming the door on Gladiator. But things like this, it's chump change in a fight. Gladiator has the main advantage here. And that ends up being kind of allegorical to Karen. Karen's waiting till the last moment. The time is running out. There's not a lot of moves she has left except to get on the plane. And even as she's doing that, she's waiting for Matt to come running up. And it doesn't happen. Her mind game kind of backfired, so she's off to the West Coast. And then, of course, we have the big twist where the gladiator's blades fall apart, which was by design. Basically, turns out this was a Mission Impossible-style ruse to prove that Potter is lying through his teeth. And who concocted this ruse, you might ask? That would be none other than District Attorney Foggy Nelson. Good on you, Foggy. This is one of the issues that really turned me on to Foggy and showed me another side to him that he has a lot more to offer when given the chance to think things through. Foggy's not necessarily somebody to act on the spot, but he's kind of like Batman. Given a few minutes to plan, he'll come up with something. And you gotta admit, knowing that Foggy went in with this plan, that the district attorney's office was aware of it, that kind of puts a different light on Karen. Because the gladiator's breakout was done under somewhat controlled and monitored circumstances. To some extent, it was expected by Foggy and Matt. So it's not ridiculous to think that Karen would have been aware of the ruse and the time constraints and the dangers. Being aware of that, she's pushing Matt to not do his job as assistant district attorney. And this is bothersome because she's not asking Matt for something reasonable, like don't go out as daredevil and patrol looking for things sit down and talk to me she's asking matt not to do his job as matt murdoch as assistant da she's also asking him not to be present as daredevil to try to circumvent potential disaster yes it probably could have been handled okay but who knows foggy could have been killed melvin could have been killed it could have been a lot worse if daredevil hadn't showed up and karen having that full picture and basically trying to call him out and get him to stay behind is completely irresponsible and self-centered now that's under the presumption that karen was completely aware of the ruse of the plan exactly what was set out to accomplish when they went to the island 
island. The sad thing is, Matt did think of Karen as a priority. He did think of her in the midst of the fight. He did rush to get to the phone. Once he had a moment to focus on the here and now, things went differently, and the fight went on longer than expected. He does need her. And the thing is, by her leaving, that discards the validation she's looking for. So it ends up being kind of a sad irony. The whole issue does, really. But let's be honest, it wouldn't be drama if this had worked out in some sort of smooth manner. Now bear in mind, this is a time when Marvel was wanting to give the illusion of change, but not actually change things. So Karen leaving was basically expected to resolve with her returning somehow. So Matt's revelation of his secret identity really didn't move the ball too far. However, this issue did because we essentially know how this plays out. Hindsight is 2020. Karen moves to LA. Matt kind of goes after her for a while. She gets embroiled in a murder mystery and she starts acting. And the thing is, Karen never really comes back, not as a permanent cast. She's on the West Coast from here going forward. She's involved with the book a little bit longer, but she's a satellite member of the cast. So Karen getting on the plane is actually a major moment. She ceases to be that immediate present love interest and becomes something different. She becomes sort of a relic of the past, and eventually she fades out of existence entirely, as terms of the comic page, until Born Again. Again, she does appear in the book, but really she's not really part of it in the same capacity, kind of going from a main star of a show to a recurring character. So this is actually a relevant turning point because Matt and Karen's relationship is never going to be the same again. Now I'm going to get more into that next week. For now, what is the final verdict on Daredevil number 63? On the surface, Daredevil number 63 is a simple story. We have a villain loose in a prison with Daredevil also up against the clock with Karen. And this seems like a Stanley tale, but more accurately, it's a Stanley template. This could have been Spider-Man and the Vulture fighting in the prison while Gwen Stacy is about to leave for England. And that's because we have Roy Thomas of this vintage. And I want to be clear, I'm actually a fan of Roy Thomas. More of a later vintage, but I'm a fan. To kind of both throw him under the bus and defend him at the same time, his job was filling in Stanley's shoes. So he's kind of being held to the Stanley formula of stories. And he stands up to that. The Roy Thomas of this vintage still feels like Stan Lee. So it's that era of Marvel, it just kind of echoes, and that was his job. I want to clarify that. So he was to come in, write stories, and evoke the Stan Lee feeling and formula, and he did that. Now having said that, whether by accident or through great insight, this tale ends up transcending its formula. It goes beyond the damned if you do, damned if you don't adventure. The parallel of Karen and Potter trying to use ploys to get their desires is quite striking when you light upon it, once you really notice it. And it's not hiding, you just have to actually look for it. Both are throwing a Hail Mary pass. Melvin can't really believe that anyone's going to believe his amnesia story. If he did, he wouldn't flip his switch when the blades were on his wrists. However, when it comes down to it, all Melvin had to do was commit to the ruse, and he might have gained the legs. He might have actually moved down the path that he was trying to get down. But at the very first chance, he goes ballistic. On the other side, I also don't think that Karen expected Matt to let her go, otherwise she wouldn't have dragged her feet for so long, right up to the last moment. Literally to the moment she's getting on the plane. She really thought this was the way to get Matt to do this grand gesture, to have him pour his heart out. And sometimes I think she doesn't know Matt at all, because all she had to do was have him sit down and have a conversation. Karen wanted to be wanted and needed by a man who was beyond self-sufficient, and she tried to bluff, and basically that bluff backfired. But she committed to it. So in both cases, these bluffs backfired. Melvin's because he didn't commit, Karen's because she did. Which is interesting because it's clear why Melvin's back was against the wall. He's in prison for a crime. He's going away for a while, but Karen's wasn't against the wall. And I kind of understand where she was wanting to set this timeline in stone, but I don't know that she should have expected that immediate response. 
The core of this parallel is that if both had applied a little bit of patience and some moderately long-term foresight, there may have been a different ending for both of them. And that means a different outcome for Daredevil as well. He could talk to Karen and really try to communicate, really open up, and really try to do what adults do is make a relationship work. Likewise, he could end up trapping Melvin a different way. Melvin was sure to trip up at some point, whether in his testimony or what have you. But that does not make good drama, and the bluffs end up countering each other and dashing the hopes of those doing the bluffing. It's a sprinkle of O. Henry in what could have already been a fairly solid issue just on its own right, because it does have a great fight piece and a nice twist that shows why Foggy is not to be underestimated. There's a lot to like in this issue, and what I like about that is it doesn't resort to gimmicks, doesn't try to do game-changing revelations that we see now. It's just a thoughtful, fun, action-packed issue that's well worth the read. So Daredevil number 63 gets a big... Big, big thumbs up from me. But that brings us to closing time here at Dave's Daredevil Podcast. However, I will be back in one week, and in one week, we catch up with Daredevil on the West Coast where Stuntmaster and the Man Without Fear are about to make it big in Hollywood, but they're going to have some trouble with Stiltman in issue number 67 of Daredevil. That is in seven days, depending on when you're listening to this. Until then, between episodes, remember, justice may be blind, but it can see in the dark. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a proud member of the Two True Freaks network of podcasts. You can find the show's home at twotruefreaks.com. Also, choose to like the network on Facebook. Simply search for Two True Freaks. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash daveweeder, and you can email the show. The address is mail at daredevilpodcast.com. Did you know? You can sponsor any episode of your favorite Two True Freaks affiliated shows. That's right, simply click the PayPal link, donate any amount at all, tell us which show you're choosing and what message, if any, you'd like us to read on your behalf. And you will be an official sponsor of that show's very next episode with your message read in the show's opener. It's that easy, and there is no minimum donation. Be a show sponsor today. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at TwoTrueFreaks.com to shop there. If you use this link to go to Amazon and then you shop, Two True Freaks gets a cut of what you buy. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and it really helps the freaks out. You get to shop as usual and keep the lights on at Two True Freaks at the same time. What a deal. Daredevil and all related characters are copyright Marvel Entertainment Group. All rights reserved. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not draw profit from the references to the characters herein. All music and sound clips are used for entertainment purposes. All rights lie with the copyright holder. Dave's Daredevil Podcast is a production of DiManzo Corps of Milan, Italy. All rights reserved. Until next time, I am J. David Weeder. Thank you so much for listening.